Holy Gospel comes from St. Mark, the 8th chapter. And Jesus went on with the, his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer honestly. Who likes to be comfortable? <laughs> yes, comfortable is a, a, is a good thing. You know what's a bad thing? Pain, suffering, hurt, right? Uh, rejection. That's that's hard. That's bad. And so let's, let's talk about comfort and the good things of comfort. Maybe, maybe we can talk about comfort foods. Yeah, this, this is my comfort food. I don't, I don't know if anyone else likes grilled cheese and tomato soup. Ah, just reminds me of home. You're shaking your head. Is this a Midwest thing? I don't know. But uh, yeah, so... Uh, we like comfortable foods. Maybe you have, uh, have your own personal comfort food. Maybe you have comfy pants, sweatpants or yoga pants that you put on after Thanksgiving after you eat a lot of comfort food, right? <laughs> so that there's, there's another way we can be comfortable. How about um, our homes? We like our, our homes to be comfortable, our, our furniture to be comfortable. How many of us have, have gone away on a trip and maybe stayed in a hotel and said to ourselves, I just can't wait to sleep in my own bed. Why? Because it's comfortable, right? We're used to it. It's broken in just perfectly for us. We have the right amount of blankets on it. 
it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Or we also like to be comfortable uh, in our homes with the, the temperature. How many of you have ever gone to grandma and grandpa's house and said, kids, we got to put on your long johns. Make sure you bring extra layers because it's going to be cold there. They keep it at like 65 and it's freezing and the whole time we're there and just crank it up to 70, right? All right. Okay. Environmentalists might have something to say to me, but I'm saying we like comfort and not only uh, comfort in, in life, but we can look in scripture and see that comfort is a, is a good thing is a God thing, something that our Lord gives us. Isaiah 40, verse 1, a popular verse. The Lord says, comfort, comfort you, my people. Right? We're supposed to give comfort to the people around us, the people in our, our life. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, God is a God of comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And our hope as Christians is the new creation. And as I understand it, the new creation is pretty comfortable. It's Eden restored, the Garden of Eden, not my wife Eden. The Garden of Eden restored. God, we're told in, in Revelation 21, God will dwell with his people. He'll be our friend. Jesus is our friend. He'll hang out with us. There won't be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. None of that will be in the new creation. God himself will wipe away every tear from our face. Sounds Sounds comfortable to me. Can't wait to get there. But we're not there. And what I am going to argue today is that our striving for comfort in this life, it can go a bit too far. And it can be misplaced, misapplied. And so we'll talk about our continual comfort. Uh, we're, we're in a series right now, uh, Giving It Up, uh, our series for Lent. And Lent, in particular, is a, a season associated with fasting or self-denial or giving things up, like chocolate or social media or whatever the case may be. Lent is also a season that we focus upon repentance, right? Big church word, but in the Hebrew, that word literally, woodenly means turn around. So you're walking this way, you repent, you walk the other way. In Greek, the, the word, the wooden translation, the literal meaning of the word that gets translated repentance is change your mind. Think differently. The whole of Christian life is, is a life of repentance. Luther tells us that. However, in Lent, we focus on it specifically. In this Lent, we focus on giving up things that we can repent of, giving up sin, and in sometimes even giving up continual comfort.
So let's turn to God's Word. We're in Romans chapter 5. I invite you to take out your Bibles and, and follow along with me a little bit if you so choose. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts the sentence with, therefore, the question that we ought to ask as Christians, anyone know? Some of you do. What's the therefore? Therefore, right? What's it referring to? Well, chapter 4, Paul talks all about Abraham and specifically about how Abraham, the Old Testament father, right? The Abraham, who was just one, and many uh, sons had father Abraham, right? Abraham was justified by faith, right? Because he believed, he was justified. So too, therefore, since we also have been justified by faith, what do we have? We have, we have peace with God. God's not angry at us, friends. We have peace through Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. The Hebrew word there, for that's, that this is Greek, the New Testament, but the Hebrew word, that's translated peace, that's common in that world, is shalom. This lack of not just strife, but a peace, a wholeness. We have a right relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for giving this to us through your life, death, and resurrection. Verse 2, going on. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The image that comes to mind is someone standing in water, waiting in water, right? You're standing in the grace of God. It's all around you. You can't get away from it. You don't want to get away from it. It's a good thing. It follows you wherever you go. You are standing in the grace of God. You're standing in God's grace. What does the verse end by saying? And we rejoice in the hope hope, our future desire that we can stand firm in because of Jesus Christ, so we can see the glory of God. No one can see the glory of God apart from Christ. We can see his awe, his majesty, his power. We hope in the glory of God for ourselves we receive the righteousness of God and his glory in our life so that we are freed from sinning. We have this hope. And this leads Paul into a, a fairly popular verse or well-known verse, uh, verses in, in the uh, New Testament where he talks about hope leads to, well, hope and, and then because of hope, we can rejoice in our suffering. Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance leads to character. And character, again, leans, 
leads to, to hope. Verse, verse 3, not only, so, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's the end of verse 2. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We need to be careful here. We need to be clear here. We don't rejoice because of our sufferings. We're not masochistic. We don't in, inflict self-harm. We're not trying to beat ourselves up and enjoy it. There's nothing about Christianity. Don't, go, don't walk away from today's sermon saying, well, Christianity is a, is a, a, a faith that uh, enjoys and requires suffering and uh, enjoys hurt. No, we don't enjoy suffering. But when we are in our sufferings, because of the hope that we have through Christ, we can still rejoice. I think of the Apostle Paul and his friend Silas. One day they were in prison, and at midnight, I mean prison, right? Not necessarily an ideal place. They're thrown in prison, prison 2,000 years ago, maybe even less so ideal. Uh, was it dark, slimy? It was midnight. And what were they doing at midnight in the midst of their suffering? They're singing, singing hymns to God, singing praises. In the midst of their suffering, they were rejoicing. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because as we're standing in the grace of God, in the midst of our suffering, God's grace plus our suffering can produce endurance. That's where we can, and we, we, have, we can't go too far with this, but where the saying, uh, no pain, no gain, kind of applies to us in the Christian life, at least in our sanctification. Uh, we, we grow. There's something that, that God can do with our suffering that produces in us uh, endurance. Um, and endurance, th I mean, think, think. Um, well, let me say this first. Luther, Martin Luther, when he talked about growing as a Christian theologian, you know, big word for studier of God, what, what is the Christian life and what's required so that we can grow in the uh, Christian life? And as a theologian, well, prayer, meditation on God's word, and trials, or you could say suffering. There's something about that suffering, those trials, those pains that God can use to produce endurance. Think again, athlete. You don't just go out and run a marathon. I can remember times where I, I was running a 5K, and <laughs> this was a few years and a few pounds ago, right? But just saying, when I was running a, a 5K, and there were some people that from the start just darted off and were going super fast for like, 0.3 miles, <laughs> and then they realized, oh, this is a long race. They didn't have the endurance to keep up that pace that whole time. We can build endurance as we stand in God's grace and go through sufferings. And then endurance produces, what does Paul tell us? Character. 
What type of person are you? I've heard it defined like this. Character, it's not just righteous living, but it's what you do when no one is looking. When you get no credit for it. When you don't get a bonus because your boss saw you put in an extra few hours at work. Character is what you do when no one is looking. And then finally, character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Verse verse 6, no, I'm sorry, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Poured. Huh. That's an interesting choice of words. What gets poured? Liquid gets poured. Water gets poured. Makes me think that Paul is talking about baptism, which he goes on to talk a whole lot about in chapter 6. Read ahead for yourself if you want to. But God has poured his love, his Holy Spirit, his grace into our hearts through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole process, uh, I may have not put that slide up, sorry. But I, I, I had a nice, really, really nice slide. It was, it was <laughs> profound. Um, but this whole process was, it is not linear. Right? Like sometimes we think, oh, well, once we go through a little suffering and then and gain a little endurance and then gain some character and then hope, then, oh, we're done with that suffering part. But no, this, this process is more cyclical, right? You notice how Paul starts with hope and then ends with hope, right? It keeps going in the Christian life, the, this process of, of uh, suffering, endurance, character, and hope is a cyclical one. And yet, sometimes we go out of our way to avoid any type of suffering in life. At least we attempt to. Well, many, many of us, I should say, are good middle-class Americans and middle-class people, by definition, just love their comfort. They love to be comfortable with their money. They love to be comfortable with their home. They love to be comfortable with their relationships. Middle-class people were so good at bubble-wrapping our kids, protecting them so that we're comfortable when they go out to play. Right? Um, we, we attempt to eliminate suffering And again, sometimes that's okay. Yesterday, took Isaac to the um, podiatrist. He's been having some pain in his heels. That's bad. I don't like to see my son hurting. Getting rid of suffering uh, is, is an okay thing. We went to the podiatrist. He took an x-ray, said, put these heel inserts in. Let me do a few. Here's a few tips, icing, uh, massaging, that sort of stuff. This is just normal growing pains. We'll get out of this. This is good. And we have, we're, we're heading in the right direction. But we go so far to protect 
ourselves and to prevent any suffering in our lives, what we can do is we can short circuit the cycle. It's suffering that, that God uses through his grace to produce endurance. But if we eliminate or attempt to eliminate all suffering in our life, then the cycle never even gets started. On Instagram, uh, well, let, let me back up. This past week in our uh, staff meeting, I meet with Donna Lynn and Crystal, our communications director, and Rhonda, our worship assistant, and, and we're talking about this text. And Crystal brought up how on Instagram, a trending sound these days um, has to do with, with peace and comfort. Right? And so if you're not an Instagram native person, like th there are reels, the little short video clips that, where people can share videos, share, uh, share their thoughts on the day, that sort of stuff. And th this in particular, this sound is trending, meaning it's got a lot of people, uh, a lot of attention. It's, it's popular. It's, it's viral, gone viral, right? Many people agree with this. And the sound has all to, everything to do with peace and comfort. Let me, let me read you a few of the things that people said on Instagram talking about comfort. One post says, I'm not dealing with nothing and nobody that'll cost me my peace. My peace is number one priority and I'm going to protect my peace at all costs. Huh. Okay, well, I mean, now, peace is a good thing, but it all costs uh, just maybe something to think about. Here's a, here's a second one, a little longer. Today, this person says, today I made a personal commitment to protect my peace at all costs, regardless of who I may lose and how bad it may hurt. I refuse to allow any man, woman, or child to compromise the peace that I have worked so incredibly hard to create. Instead, I will step back. I will love from a distance. I will remove my availability and accessibility and allow them to watch me from a distance. I refuse to allow anyone to weaponize my loving heart, my integrity, my loyalty, my solidarity, my values for the personal gain. It's the ultimate form of self-love and respect. It stood out to me here. It's where the person says, I, uh, regardless of who I may lose, how bad it may hurt, I refuse to allow any man, woman, or child, <laughs> child to compromise the peace I've worked so hard for. My guess is that this person isn't a parent yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just kind of, um, you, you know what, what, what we also call or another word for uh, not compromising our peace and, and, and loving our children from a distance and removing our availability and accessibility to children. That's also called abandonment. <laughs> just saying, maybe not the best choice of words. One more. I have the mentality that if it costs my peace, it just has to go. I'm not willing to compromise my mental health for anything. My peace is sacred. 
and I'm willing to protect it at all costs. Now, I, I bring this out, not to rip on social media or Instagram or, or whatever, but because these are popular, this is a popular common sentiment in our world that people really like. I think we ought to also expose the errors in this thinking. This last one in particular, my peace is sacred. I mean, the, the, this person is, is essentially saying, I have made peace my God. And I'll do anything at all cost to protect my peace. Even here, church folks, even here in church, we can expect comfort. But church can be uncomfortable. There are some scripture readings that sound a bit harsh. There are maybe some styles of music. That's not like what I grew up listening to at church. Church is filled with people. And people sometimes make you uncomfortable. They might get a little bit too close, get into your personal space. They might uh, share a little too much. TMI, I am uncomfortable with you sharing your sins, your baggage. We look for comfort in, in this life. That's not what scripture tells us. For many, comfort or peace has gone from a, a, a good thing to the ultimate thing. From a good thing to a God thing. We worship comfort. During this time of Lent, repentance, this is an opportunity for us to look at ourselves, look at our lives and say, ooh, I like comfort almost too much. Maybe it's time for me to turn around. A couple of reasons why I think this is a, a problem. First of all, striving for for continual comfort, it's just not realistic in this world. We live in a fallen world, broken place, with hurting people, hurting kids, hurting families. We deal with this uh, at, the, at the doctor's office, at school, wherever. And we'd be kidding ourselves if we want to find ultimate peace in this life. Second, Striving for continual comfort requires our withdrawal from the suffering of the people of this world, right? So close, this is closely related to the first one, but there are people in this world who are thirsty, who are hungry. There are people who have diseases. There are people who have mental health issues, and we can't, uh, and we shouldn't, in fact, God tells us not to pull away from everyone who has a problem. We wouldn't be in touch with anybody at that point. Um, God calls us instead, this is from Micah chapter 6, God calls us to, to do justice, to love kindness, 
And sometimes when we do justice, that, that work is uncomfortable. It's messy. Finally, striving for continual comfort blinds us to the ways in which God works through our sufferings. Our, our friend Patricia, she's in, in hospice care. She's down in Centennial now. I went to, to visit with her. And uh, I went to visit with her this past week. And um, you know, we, many of us know that Patricia hasn't had an easy road these past few years with her MG and then with her heart attack. And, and she's in hospice and in a sense, like just kind of waiting to die. And it's, it's tough. It's tough for her. It's tough for her husband, George. And yet she always talks about, every day she talks about these divine appointments that she has had. And she's told me about these throughout the years. But most recently, here she is in hospice, should be the one receiving comfort and care, but she's also looking for opportunities to talk to the hospice nurses, to ask them how they're doing. She told me this past week about how one of the nurses broke down crying because she's never been asked that. <laughs> That's what God can do through suffering. God also worked through the suffering of the Apostle Paul, who prays for a thorn in his side, 2 Corinthians 12, thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what that is, but thorn doesn't make me think that it tickled, right? A thorn in his side to be removed. And God said, nope, I'm not going to remove that. My grace is sufficient for you. We also see Joseph, the patriarch in the Old Testament, rejected by his brothers, made fun of by his brothers, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery by his brothers. And yet, years later, God worked through him, placed him as second in command, the vice president of Pharaoh, to save the entire world from starvation. Pretty cool. Or how about Joseph, the stepfather of our Lord Jesus? Did he go through some suffering? Um, yeah, maybe some sleepless nights. Maybe, uh, you know, think, he's thinking about, yeah, oh, yeah, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh, sure. Sleepless nights, rejection from the community. He had to flee to Egypt to protect the, the Christ child. There's some suffering in that. God worked through him to bring about salvation for this world in our, our Lord Jesus. Uh, of course, being the, the, the ultimate example of God using suffering, working through suffering to bring salvation into this world. As Jesus hung upon the cross, my guess is that the Roman soldiers never said, hey, you feeling okay? How, how are those crown of thorns doing? You want us to adjust that a little bit? Those nails, can we twist those a little bit? Will that, will that help as you're dying for the sins of the world? Super uncomfortable. And yet, 
Three days later, our Lord Jesus rises from the dead, defeats death, defeats suffering, defeats pain, and brings hope and eternal comfort into our lives. <laughs> it's only because of what Christ has done for us on the cross that we can stand here today in the grace of God and look forward and know that Jesus is coming back. That every tear will be wiped from our face. That there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. That Eden, the Garden of Eden, will be a good, good place to be. And it's right in the middle of the mess. The mess of this broken, fallen, hurting, suffering world that our Lord Jesus came, that our Lord Jesus comes and gives us his grace continually. So as we follow Jesus, and we keep in mind that God can use suffering in our lives to bring about his glory and to, to help other people, when we think about what are some of the ways that maybe we need to repent, ways that we've pursued continual comfort unending comfort at the expense of following Christ. And we can repent of those things. God will forgive us and lead us to serve him in this world.